Thank you for so much for being here with us today. Uh, this is our second sermon in a series that I've entitled simply, What is the Gospel? Which is extremely important to get to know. Uh, what is the actual gospel? What does this word really even mean? And if you break it down truly and look at its origin all the way back to Greek and bring it forward into English, all it means is the good news. But why do we emphasize this word gospel so much? And, and exactly what is this news that we have received that is so good? What makes that good news so good? And we looked a little bit last week. And you'll find if you stay with us and you come often that I usually review last week in case you were not here, in case you missed. And it helps me also to refresh. But we did look last week at several different passages. If you're making notes, we, we looked at Ephesians chapter 2. and We looked at verses 1 through 3. How Paul lets us know uh, who we are naturally, who mankind is naturally. And naturally, we're in opposition to God. Naturally, we want to do what we want to do, not what God wants us to do. Naturally, this passage says that we follow Satan. Naturally, we follow the course of this world. We do not follow God. Naturally, we follow the other sons of disobedience. And naturally, at the end there in verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 2, it says, By nature... We are children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So this is, again, bad news. But oftentimes, and I think probably 100% of the time, as you see the bad news of who we are naturally, who we are just by being born, uh, just by living, that we are under the wrath of God. Why is that? Well, because we have sinned against God. If we go way back to uh, Adam and Eve, we see that they were in the presence of God, and then they sinned. And what happened then? Well, immediately, they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. They were kicked out of the presence of God. And that's where we find ourselves naturally. Naturally, mankind is outside of the presence of God for the very same reason that Adam and Eve were. We have sinned against a holy righteous God, and we deserve His punishment. We deserve His wrath. So we need good news. Uh, we also looked here at Romans chapter 3. We looked at verse 9. We went all the way through 20, looked at 23 as well. Let me just hit the highlights there. It says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, meaning all people, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. We are under sin. We have sin. Sin is in us. It is a weight that is on top of us, and we cannot remove ourselves from that weight. We cannot fix ourselves. And then Paul just pulls all these passages from the Old Testament here, and he lists them one right after the other to let them know who they are and who we are naturally. He says, none is righteous, no, not one. So in order to be in the presence of God, you would have to be 100% righteous, absolutely no sin, and performing everything absolutely at to God's standard. The Bible says there's not even one of us, not even the sweetest, nicest, kindest person you can possibly think of that has ever existed. None of us are righteous. He goes on to say no one understands, no one even seeks for God. All have sinned. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Meaning that naturally we cannot fix this ship that is flipped over. 
that's full of water. It's going down, and we can't scoop out enough of it. We have sinned against God. None of us seek after God on our own. So this is a natural state of mankind. Verse 23 there in Romans chapter 3 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God is holy. God is righteous. He is pure. In order to be in His presence, we would have to be holy righteous and pure as well. We cannot. The Bible says we've all, every single one of us, fallen short of the glory of God. This is not good because not only have we fallen short, but now we deserve the wrath of God. Last week we looked at this. What, what, when we say the word saved, uh, what are we saved from? What is this even talking about? We use this word in Christianity a lot, but what are we saved from? And if you're out there today and you say, yes, I'm saved. I remember when I was saved at so-and-so age and so-and-so church. And that's excellent. That is great. But, but what are we saved from? Well, we are saved from the wrath of God that we deserve for the sins that we have committed. We are born sinners and we actively sin. We deserve the holy, righteous judgment of God. And in the end, that judgment finally does come. We've even looked at the book of Revelation just quickly, just briefly, how that every single one will stand before God. Books will be open and they will be judged by what is written in those books. In other words, God knows everything. That fancy word we, we look at sometimes uh, to regard God's all-knowing ability is omniscient. He knows all things at once. His knowledge is perfect. The Bible lets us know that He sees everything that we do in the daylight or at night. He sees everything that goes on in our head. He knows every thought. He knows every word that is on our mouth. Everything that we have ever done is exposed fully before God. So the bad news is, that naturally mankind deserves the wrath of God for our sin. And you might be thinking of the major sins. But no, God sees every single small, what we might call small sin, because every single one is directly opposed to God. And that we demand God's punishment for our sin because He's holy, because He's righteous. And in the end, this judgment does come. Revelation chapter 20, verse 15 says, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So this is bad, all right? This is bad news. But once we realize this bad news and who mankind is naturally, that makes what we call the good news, the gospel, look so incredibly good. And we looked last week and a key verse, that's kind of the key verse for this mini-series that we're doing before we get to the Explore God series that's coming up in a couple of weeks. But we looked at Romans 1.16. If you guys have your Bible there with you, I encourage you to open it up now and go ahead and turn with me to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. And if you're making notes as we go through this series, make sure you highlight this. This is our main verse that we're really, really honing in on, making it a target for this series. But this is what the passage says. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and also to the Greek. We're going to concentrate on this first portion here. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone one who believes. So this is being announced. Uh, we, we have the New Testament that opens up with four books that are sometimes regarded as the four 
Gospels, right? It is the good news. And this good news has come directly from God. Here he says, we are, he is not ashamed of the gospel. Why is he not? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So there is a possibility that we can be saved from that bad state we looked at earlier, from who we naturally are and our natural position before God, we can be rescued? You mean I, I can be saved from facing a holy, righteous God who knows every single sin I've ever committed and I deserve eternal punishment? Yes, you absolutely can. And that is the good news. That is the gospel that we're looking at. It is the message that is in this gospel. The news that it contains is what we're looking at over the course of these weeks to make sure that we have the saving message of God right. Uh, who will be saved? Uh, is it all, all people that go to church? Is it good people? Is it nice people? Is it those who buy the most Girl Scout cookies to support them or whatever? You know, Those who walk enough elderly ladies across the road? or what, is, what does God look at? How on earth can we be saved? What do we need to do? Well, this verse makes it very clear. He rules out everything. Look closely at the verse. It is all who believe. Everyone who believes. But believes in what? Can you believe in anything you want to believe? We talked to Carl even last week as he was sitting at our table for discipleship time. And we was talking about pluralism. The belief that basically anything you choose, make up, make up your own God, find some other God that's been around for a long time, little G God, of course. Any religion, anything you want to believe is fine. Everything leads there. Just pick and choose whatever you want. Is that what is presented in God's holy word? Absolutely not. It is not just believe And whatever you want to believe, create up your own God, create your own way to God, believe this, believe that. I was in the Amazon jungle years ago, and I remember there... They had made up the belief that this, this, this man dolphin would come out of the, the Amazon River. And this is who they worshipped, all right? So they believed in this, this man dolphin thing. Bizarre, bizarre stories, bizarre artwork depicting him. Is that going to save a person from their natural position before a holy God? Absolutely not. They made up a false God. They made up their version of salvation. But here in the United States, here in America, here in Texas, here in Denton County, we find people, perhaps ourselves, doing the same exact thing. Your God or your method of salvation may not look like a half dolphin, half man, but we create our own salvation. We create our own good news. We create our own God, and we believe in that. Does that work? Absolutely, it does not work. Your salvation is only as good as the object of your beliefs, of the object of your salvation. So you cannot just believe anything you want and expect to get there. God has delivered a message of salvation, the gospel, and it is those who believe in that gospel, the message, the content of the gospel, that He has delivered to mankind that shall be saved. If we reject that, then we remain under the wrath of God. There is no salvation, right? So we see here there's this extremely easy passage. We looked at it last week. I'm already going on too far with it, too much with it. But it's so beautiful. It is so simple. How on earth, who can be saved? I wonder if I'll be saved. Those who believe in the gospel. It is the power of God, the very one that we've sinned against, has given us the gospel and is the power of God 
for our salvation. So it is in this series that we're breaking apart, looking at what actually is this message. The word gospel means good news, and it's kind of shorthand to describe a message that has several vital ingredients in it, and we're going to be looking at those, okay? All right, so let's turn now. Keep, you might keep your position there. If you have a little bookmark paper, put it in there. But flip over with me to Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 12. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 12. And again, sometimes we'll have some passage on the screen, but uh, when we're reading scriptures at length, multiple verses, I usually don't do that. I'd like for you to look them up in your own Bible and uh, follow along with me. And this is one of those I'd like for you to follow along with me. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. All right, how important is it then to make sure that we get the gospel right? We've already kind of alluded to this, but can we, can we change it? Can we alter it? Can we kind of do what we want to with it? Uh, we looked at Romans chapter 1 through 7 last week where Paul describes the gospel. And he goes through the ingredients of it. And before I get to this, this passage we're going to look at, we even use the analogy, and I'll probably use it again next week because it's so simple, it's so easy, it's so basic. But we, we look at the gospel. It is good news, but all news has components to that news. And so it is with the gospel. The gospel has components or ingredients that are in it. And we encase all that in one word, and we call it the gospel. But oftentimes people say the word gospel now, and they don't know the ingredients in it any longer. They don't know the components in it. And we use the simple illustration of making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. If you said, Trey, I would like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and you're over at my house, I say, absolutely, no problem. And I walk back here, and I get two pieces of white bread, and I hand you that. Is that a peanut butter jelly sandwich? You know, no. What's it missing? It's missing vital components that make up a peanut butter jelly sandwich. You say, no, 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 that's not it. And I say, oh, I know, I know. Okay. So I go back and I put jelly on the two pieces of bread and I hand that to you. Is that a peanut butter jelly sandwich? All right. Obviously it is not. It's still missing a vital ingredient. But if I go back, two pieces of bread, peanut butter, jelly, hand that to you. You say, aha, no, that is a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Thank you, and now I need a glass of milk. Okay, so that made that sandwich. So what about the gospel? What makes up the gospel? Uh, you can't make up your own gospel. What we find in the Bible is God has given us an exact message. And kind of like that peanut butter jelly sandwich, it has ingredients in it. If you take an ingredient out, like the peanut butter jelly sandwich, if I don't put jelly in, it's not a peanut butter jelly sandwich. If I don't put peanut butter in, it's not a peanut butter jelly sandwich. And if I take certain ingredients out of the gospel, listen closely, it's no longer the gospel. And this is really scary because you have people in today's time who are saying the word gospel, but they have no clue what it even means. And many have taken vital ingredients out of it. So now they have a gospel that is no longer the power of God for salvation. In fact, it is the opposite of that, they have a gospel that cannot save because it's not the gospel from God. It's the gospel they've made up themselves. So let's look at Galatians chapter 1. Hopefully you're still there. Uh, let's begin at verse 6. I'll read through several passages here, probably through verse 9. It says, Paul says, I am ashamed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven 
should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. This is not good, right? If you look back up here in verse 6, he says they're turning to a different gospel. The same word is being used. They're still saying good news. They're still saying gospel, but they put different ingredients to it. So it's no longer the gospel that Paul had received from God that he had then delivered to the Galatians. Now they're twisting it. Your version might say distorted. Other versions of your Bibles might say perverted the gospel message. They've twisted this message. And now, why is Paul so angry here? What is he so worked up about? Because they are now presenting a gospel that will not save anyone. In fact, it does the opposite. Now they have a false assurance and a false gospel, and they have a false sense of salvation. Now you have people going around uh, believing that they have been saved because they believed in something, but they have not believed in the gospel that Paul received from God. So why is Paul so worked up? Uh, but, and even say that those people preaching such a gospel should be accursed? Who should they be cursed by? God himself is what he is saying. That these people are not on their way to heaven. They have not been rescued. They have not been saved by God. And now they're coming in here teaching you their methods. Teaching you their version of the gospel. And Paul says, there is no other gospel. You, you say that you've switched God. There's a different gospel here. But there is no other one that is truly real. There is only one single gospel. How many gospels do we have today? Gospels are made up all the time, right? You hear some people think they're good enough to get to heaven. All right, they've made their own gospel. Other people will say something like, well, I think when you get to heaven, you know, stand before God, judgment, he's going to weigh out your good deeds and your bad deeds. And if you do enough good and you didn't do too much bad, then you get to go into heaven. All right, just like that, another gospel was created. Paul says there's no other ones, though. There's not any other real gospel. Uh, some people say, well, if you go to church enough times, then surely that's going to get you there. They've created a different gospel. They've perverted the gospel, right? Some people say, well, as long as you believe in uh, a God, as long as you believe in God, then that's absolutely fine, and that's all you really need to do, and that's what I feel deep down inside, so that's what I'm sticking with. They've created a different gospel. They've perverted the gospel that came from God. And what does Paul say? Look at verse 8. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. This is serious. Paul understands the seriousness of this. God, the one we've sinned against, the one who will give us his wrath, has also provided good news, salvation. For those who believe in it, they shall be saved. So if you come in and twist what God said and distort it and change it, it no longer does anything at all. A false gospel produces false Christians. You may want to write this down. If you have a good memory, put it in your head. But a false gospel produces false Christians that are not real. And false Christians produce more false Christians by repeating the same false gospel. Does that make sense? So we have 
people who say they're Christians sometimes are not Christians at all. They've believed in a false gospel that's not the gospel God has delivered. And now they go on to tell other people how they can be saved and believe in this gospel as well. But your salvation is based only in the object of your salvation. And we are called to believe, but not just in whatever we want. We're called to believe in the one and only gospel, the gospel from God. Let me finish this passage. Verse 10 says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And let me, let me just say, there is a tendency, a temptation to alter the gospel. We're going to get into the ingredients of the gospel like we did last week when we looked at Romans 1-7. through 7. But there is a tendency, a pressure to, if, in order to please mankind, oftentimes in order to have a mega, uh, quotation marks, church, you kind of have to twist the gospel a little bit sometimes and not make it so pointy, not make it so jagged. Don't tell people how really bad they are. Don't tell them about sin. Don't tell them about God's wrath. And just tell them, hey, smile, we love you, God loves you, everything is going to be great, all right? And that, that gospel goes down easy. People out in the world, people even under the wrath of God, oh, okay, well, I like that gospel, right? And that's what Paul is saying here. Am I trying to please you with the gospel, or am I trying to please the one that gave it to me? So his commitment is to deliver the exact message that was given to God to those people. So he says, I don't care what you think. There's only one gospel that saves. I'm not trying to please you. I'm pleasing God. So let's move on. Verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. He didn't make it up. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. This is huge. So what we find here is the very God we've sinned against, the very God that owes us wrath, has given us divine, special revelation through Jesus Christ himself, through the apostles, to announce this gospel. Paul says, I didn't make this up. I received it directly from God, directly from Jesus Christ, and I'm giving it to you. If someone comes in here and changes it, let them be accursed, because they're preaching a false gospel that will not do anything, that will not save, that will not forgive, that will not atone for your sins. You will still be under your sins. You will still not be righteous. You will still deserve the wrath of God. That's why he is all worked up here. All right, so... um, What are we looking at as we look at this passage we've seen? Paul delivered what he received to others. Why would he do something like this? Uh, Pretty obvious, so they could be saved from God. The reason that we are commanded also by God, by Christ, is to to go and tell others is because this is the method of salvation God has given. And so we tell them the gospel. Uh, What exactly did he deliver to them? That's what we're about to look at. He delivered a message, good news, right? This gospel, the word means good news. Who is this good news from? This message, this news is from God. So Paul delivers the message. They believe in this message, and they are saved by the gospel, by the power of God. Uh, Look look at verse 3 one more time. For if I delivered to you... Oh, sorry. Let's go to... Uh, I haven't had you turn there yet. 1 Corinthians 15. Go ahead and turn there if you don't mind. 1 Corinthians 15. This will be our main text for the day. You might have thought the last one was, but I usually have a main and then an almost main and another kind of main and maybe another main text as well. Uh, we do look at the Bible quite often. It is what we do. It is God's divine word. And 
I could tell you stories and illustrations of my life, but that will not do anything to change you. So we do find ourselves heavily in the Scriptures when you're here. Uh, so please, if you have a Bible, bring it. Follow right along with us. Uh, but 1 Corinthians 15 says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. Okay? He's about to remind us of the gospel. I'll, I'll try to read more of this, and then we'll, we'll break it up a little bit. I preach to you which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word preached to you unless you believed in vain. Verse 3, here we go. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecute the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Okay, so once again, we look at this passage. Uh, why is the gospel such good news? He says, I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you. Well, in short... The message is so good because it's how we can be saved and put in a right relationship with God. No one is righteous. No, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we find that through what Christ does for us, that He is God. He is man. He lives a perfect, sinless life. He dies on the cross, pays for the sins of all who believe in Him, dies, buried, rises from the dead, ascends into heaven, has all authority in heaven, will be the final judge over all mankind. But for those who believe in Him, we have no fear of that final judgment because our sins have been paid for. Our sins have been covered by Jesus Christ. So God has provided a Savior, one Savior. Not many Saviors, but one single Savior. And that's what we're going to find when we open this up. The components of that gospel. What is the gospel? Well, we're going to find... It's all about Jesus. And we want our church always to be a kind of a, a word that is, is, uh, describes this, but a gospel-centric church. Centric just meaning centered, okay? We want our church to be a gospel-centric church. Everything we do, we want it to flow from the gospel. We always want to keep that the most important thing that we do. As Paul says here, this is most important. But also, we want to make sure our gospel contains Christ that our gospel is Christ-centric because the gospel is all about Christ. And if we make the gospel all about ourselves, then we've lost everything. The gospel must remain about Christ. All right, so here we have this wonderful news, this wonderful gospel that's being presented here in these passages. Look briefly back at 1 through 2. Let me just read this briefly. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel... I preach to you. He's already done this. He's already preached it. They've already believed in it for their salvation. He says, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved. Let me just pause right there for a moment. 
The gospel is not just something you hear when you're a child. You heard it, you're done, and then you move on with your life and you forget it. Sometimes we treat it as elementary doctrine. We teach it to the kids. They believe it. Then we move on to more advanced doctrine. The gospel is the most advanced as it can possibly get. This is the mystery that the Old Testament pointed to that has now been revealed. This is the climax. This is the ultimate. It is the gospel that God has sent the Savior. So he's saying here, you've been saved. You, I delivered it. You believed it. You received it. And now you stand in it. You continue to confess the gospel throughout your life. You continue to believe in this gospel. We never, never stop believing in this gospel. But some do, and that reveals that they were not truly saved to begin with. And we, we briefly find this here in verse 2. He says, And by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now, we're not going to deal with this a great deal today, but in case there's someone out there wondering, does this mean that a person who has truly believed in the gospel for their salvation, God's Holy Spirit has convicted them of their sin. He has regenerated them. They now are a child of God. Their sins have been paid for, atoned for. They've been redeemed. They've been ransomed by Christ. Is it possible now that they can lose their their salvation. That is not what is being taught here at all. We know from clear, emphatic scriptures. I have one up here, but John 10, 27 through 30. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Key in there on the word never. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Does this mean that everyone in church is a Christian? No. And that's what Paul is saying here. He preached and and many truly received. They truly believed. But then there's others as he gave the gospel who did not truly believe, who are not true believers in Christ. So we find this multiple places in in the scriptures, but we find where we can't tell who is a believer. I cannot tell who is a believer. But only those who are truly believing in Christ are really forever truly saved. And Jesus will lose not one. Just have a couple of passages here I'll read to you. Hebrews 4.2 says this, For good news came to us, just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So again, the gospel was presented, but just the gospel being presented does not save everyone in the room, right? So we present the gospel. God, God convicts, the Holy Spirit regenerates, you believe in. 1 John 2, 19, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would not have continued, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be become plain that they all are not one of us. What he's talking about here is that they, they had a group of believers, and then these people started leaving, and they left, and it revealed that they were not true believers, even though we thought they were as we look here. So Paul is delivering this to a message of people, and we always have to be careful that we don't rule everyone in the category of saved. Every time I teach or preach to a large group, I know that there's some real believers, there's some non-believers, and there's some people who, who pretend to be believers who have not truly believed the gospel. So that's what he's alluding to there. So let's move on. He says of first importance, 
of all things, that Paul could deliver to the Corinthian people. In verse 3, he delivers to them what is absolutely most important. Is there any other message that you could possibly give a person? Is there any other message that you could possibly receive yourself that is more important from a direct message from God? Think about that. How you could go from being object of His wrath to facing eternity in hell, punishment for your sins, to being righteous in His eyes, sins forgiven, being in a right relationship with God. Right? There's, there's nothing else. There is absolute, if What if someone came in today and said, Hey, uh, Publishers Clearinghouse, whatever it is, says, Hey, you know, you want a million dollars. We've been looking for you. Heard you're over here at the school. Here you go. You just want one of them. That's good news. That, that is good news. And that is great news, okay? But eventually the money would go out. It would run away. Eventually you'd spend it. you say, no, 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 I'll save it all up. That's great. Well, eventually you would run out, okay? Your life would be over eventually. So that is good of a news as that is. Million dollars. Well, that's nice, you know? That's good. But it's nothing compared to the gospel because you are... God knows everything about you. He created us. We've sinned against Him. We deserve His wrath, but we can be saved by Him. So He's going to give them the most important message that He possibly could give them. And what is that message going to be? It's going to be the gospel. Do we still think the gospel is of first importance? Think about that for a moment. Uh, When's the last time you delivered it to a person or had a discussion about it? Is it still the most important message? Well, here we find that, that Paul delivers that message and uh, he, he, re- he delivered what he received from God to others. Why? So they could be saved by it. Uh, let's look at this, verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Here he goes. So he received this from God, so we better pay attention. As we already covered, a message from God would be really nice, right? There's no greater message than that. So here it is. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, the gospel. Here he goes. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. So here we go. Peanut butter jelly sandwich, okay? The ingredients are being put into the gospel so that we can see it clearly. Paul says, I received it, and now I deliver it to you, and I don't want to change anything. I'm not trying to please you. I'm trying to please God. He's giving me this message. Here we go. So he starts off with the key figure in the gospel, as we looked at last week in Romans chapter 1, verse 1 through 7. The gospel is all about Christ. The gospel is all about Him. And so we find this here. He says, I delivered to you of first importance, but I also received that Christ. This word, we looked briefly at it last week, but it, it comes over from, from the Hebrew as Messiah. And into the Greek, it is Christus. And as we get it here in English, it is Christ. But it means the exact same thing as the word Messiah. And the Jews were looking for their Messiah. They were always looking for the Messiah, the Savior. Why? Because it had been prophesied throughout the Old Testament that God was going to send one. God was going to send the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, the one anointed by God that would bring about salvation. And they were looking for this one. We covered this last week as well. What is the last name of Jesus? 
It is not Christ. He is not known as Mr. Christ, okay? That is a title, and Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He has fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah that was to come. So Paul starts off here not just saying uh, Christ, referring to Mr. Christ or Jesus, but he's letting them know that this one has been promised for decades, has now come. This is the Savior the one and only one that's going to be sent from God, God's anointed one. So vital component, peanut butter jelly sandwich, is Christ. God would send one, and this one has come. His name is Jesus. So here we see Christ, not just who he is, or he, he, is, he is the Christ, he is the Messiah, but he's done something. He's done something extremely important. What does he do? He died for our sins. This is the best news we could ever be given. Is there anything better? That your sins can be forgiven? That the Christ, the Messiah, that Jesus has died for your sins? He has died for my sins. He has died for all those who believe in Him. The good news is they can be saved. They can be rescued by the Christ and by what He has done. What did He do? He died on the cross for their sins. Look up here at, uh, on the screen. I believe I have it. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18. If you're making notes, a great one to make note of. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So the righteous, the Holy One, dies for us who are unrighteous. He dies because of our sins. He dies for our sins. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, He Himself, speaking of Jesus, bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. So Christ takes our sins... They are put on him on the cross. He receives the wrath of mankind on him. We've seen the movie Passion, perhaps, and, and, and the, the, all the horror that is involved with that. The lashings on the back, the crown of thorns, the beating, the plucking of his beard, the crucifying him, the spitting on him, the humiliating of him. Is that the wrath of God? Not the wrath of man on him. But those last three hours, darkness comes across the land, and he takes our sin on himself, and he bears the price for us to God. He takes our sin on himself so that we might become the righteousness of God, so that we can be healed from our sins. This is huge. So that our sins can be removed. How can we remove them? How can we fix them? We can't. We need something else. We need something from God. Here it is the gospel. Christ dies for our sins. Now, all of this we looked at last week and this week happens in accordance with with the scriptures. We find that Paul will often mention this uh, in, in Romans and also here in 1 Corinthians that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. If, if you have a moment, uh, hold your place there, but flip over to Isaiah 51. If you have never uh, studied much of Isaiah 51, it, it truly is an amazing passage but because it ties all of this in. Paul keeps saying that all this has happened in accordance with scriptures. Why is that important? What he's announcing here is that I have not, Paul, created some new salvation for you that you now need to believe in, but that everything that Christ has done, 
His life, His death, His burial, His resurrection, His ascension back into heaven is all according to the Scriptures. God has spoken to man, prophets. The prophets spoke and they recorded what they'd written down from God. And all these were signs that one day the Messiah would have to fulfill if he was the true Messiah. And what we find here is that Jesus fulfills all of that. So all of the Old Testament is pointing to the Messiah that is to come. Now we look back and we realize he fulfilled all of the Old Testament just as the Messiah had to do. So we look at Isaiah like like 51 and and spend more time on this uh, when you get a chance, maybe this week in devotion or with your family. But Isaiah 51, I'm going to read verse 4 through 9, a passage that was written around 700 years before Christ came. And as I read this, I just want you to kind of think on, dwell on, what you know of Christ and what happens on the cross itself, okay? All right, so um, here we are in Isaiah 51. I'll start at verse 4. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. In other words, to describe sins. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. And we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before it shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And for his generation... Who consider that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. So we see here an obvious scripture, right? That everything has happened from, oh, what did I say? 53. Oh, I'm so sorry. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, Isaiah 53. Sorry. Isaiah 53. So if you're making notes, make note of that. Isaiah 53. But here we have in accordance with the Scriptures. So we look back at this clear prophecy that, that was about the Messiah that is to come, and we see that Jesus fulfilled every single bit of that. You picture Him on the cross. You picture Him being pierced. Why was He pierced? For our sins. Uh, like a lamb led to the slaughter. This is Jesus. And this happened not by accident, but everything that Jesus did happened according to the scriptures that were written ahead of time. So here we have these vital ingredients, okay? We have Christ. We have him uh, who, has, who has died. He has died for our sins. It was a real death, not a pretend death. Uh, the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. He truly had to die, and he indeed did die. Why did he die? He died for our sins. The next component here we see is that he was raised, this is important, on the third day. Jesus did not stay dead. So we have the gospel. We have Christ, who he is. We have that he, he died. He died for our sins. He was buried, but he didn't stay buried. He rose from the dead, conquering death, hell, and the grave, uh, letting us know that his sacrifice did work. He was raised from the dead. All who trust in Him shall be raised from the dead as well. We find here in Corinthians. So this is all part of the gospel. 
And we'll fast forward quickly here to, to the next one, which is He appeared. Verse 5, and He appeared. He appeared, and then there's a list of everyone He appeared to. Why is this important? Because it showed to everyone that Jesus really was who He said He was. He said that He was the Son of God. He said that He was the Son of Man. He was deity, yet He was also man, but yet He died like the scum of the earth on the cross. They put Him between criminals. They made fun of Him. They spit on Him. They mocked Him. They made fun of Him as most as they possibly could, trying to make a spectacle out of Him. But yet, He dies, but He rises from the dead. This is huge. Death could not keep Him in the ground. Three days later, He rises from the dead. But it's not just like there's a missing body and that's it. That's all we have. No, He stays for 40 days, he stays. He appears to the Peter. He appears to the disciples, to Mary, to Mary Magdalene. He appears to over 500 people see him in his risen state. He stays amongst them uh, somewhat, uh, appearing and disappearing, but he is with them he, in human form, but yet is a transcended human form, but he is teaching them. And you see that this, this teaching as he is talking about the gospel radically changes them. So let's look at this passage quickly, all right? So we have components, peanut butter jelly sandwich, all right? Christ died for our sins, buried, raised, and appeared. Skip on down to verse 11 right there in 1 Corinthians 15. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. This is it. This is the gospel. Paul delivered it. He says other people can deliver it as well. That's fine. But this is the gospel we preach. And when we preach the gospel, what is the role of our hearers? To believe the gospel. And the belief in the gospel is what saves us. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It is these truths that we must constantly check. Make sure we stand in them. Make sure we know the gospel. Make sure we speak forth the gospel. And make sure we represent the gospel truly handed down to, by God to the apostles. We have it here. And now this is the gospel that we continue to represent. Let me just end with uh, Romans 1.16 as it's on the screen. A proper study of the gospel demands the question be asked, even of ourselves, have we believed in this gospel? Have I believed in the gospel from God? If there is only one God, one Savior, one gospel that has the power to rescue or truly to save us, have I believed in that gospel? That's important for us to think on and dwell on today. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for providing the salvation, for providing the rescuer that we could be saved from our sins. Who needs to be saved? Everyone, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God, I pray if there's anyone here at the sound of my voice that does not know you as their Savior, that they are still under wrath, under sin, that they are still following this world, that, God, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would draw them unto you today, that you would allow them to see their sin for what it is, give them repentance to turn from that and to turn to you for salvation. May they believe in the right and only gospel the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship this Savior, please.